Welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, afternoon Theologian. That's an interesting schnoz pillow you have there. I thought it appropriate given <laughs> our probable topic for today. Yep. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Recording in progress. <laughs> That's about how I sounded after my nose surgeries. <laughs> you said surgeries. You mean plural as in more than one? More than one nose? Now that would look kind of weird. Cool, but, but weird. No, more than one surgery. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I had two different surgeries. Isn't that cool? But how? Why? Well, they get a hammer and some chisels. And these nostril spreaders. Not how, as in how do they do the surgeries, but how did you break your nose and why did you need surgeries? Oh, okay. Well, uh, the first time, my cousins and I were jumping off a stack of hay bales onto a pile of cotton burrs. And what the heck are cotton burrs? It's the cotton leftovers, the seeds and stems and leaves after the cotton has been harvested. And there's probably got to be some sort of use for that. Yeah, they use it for jumping off of hay bales. <laughs> well, of course. There's something else besides that. Yeah, in addition to that, sometimes farmers will compost it. They can actually sort of reintroduce the nutrients from the plant back into the soil for future crops of cotton. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense. So mm -hmm. you're jumping off this big stack of hay bales mm -hmm. onto the cotton burrs. From what height was that? We're guessing, we were thinking we were about 16 feet up. Man, that, that's pretty high. I know, right? It's a rush. <laughs> in the process of this, you hit your nose in the cotton burrs. No, not really. The cotton burrs are actually pretty soft, especially when you hit the pile and roll. So you didn't roll? Uh, nope. I proved Newton's first law of motion. <laughs> How so? Well, my knee became an object at rest while my head was still an object in motion. I see. And I guess we can just say, ouch. Yeah, that's pretty much what I said, only quite a bit louder. And what about the second time? Oh, well, then I was playing catch with a friend and I said, hang on a second. And I bent down to tie my shoe and I looked up and thought, huh, why is that baseball getting bigger? And then it hit me. Ouch again. Yeah, pretty much what I said, but without the again. But you want to know what's really funny? What's that? Trying to laugh without moving your face. I assume you had to do that after your nose surgeries. Yep. They put this plastic expandable splint inside your nose, and it doesn't flex very well. So once again, Newton's first law. Yeah. Okay. And when your friends stop by to wish you well, they tend to want to make you laugh. Well, of course they do. And I'm guessing that laughing is not preferable at that point. Not even a little bit. A big laugh hurts quite a bit like slamming your nose into your knee. I see. But when you laugh without smiling, it doesn't hurt so bad. Does it hurt so good? Like that song from John Cougar Mellencamp? <laughs> In a word, no, it doesn't hurt so good. But that's a great song reference, though. And speaking of songs, you want to know what I sang to the nurse when I saw her the second time around? What was that? 
God bless the broken nose that led me back to you. Very nice. I'm sure she was duly impressed. And you want to know what I said to the nurse a week later when she took the cotton packing out of my nose? Um, with great fear and trepidation, I'm going to say yes. Okay. I said, there was grass being mowed, but I never smelled the mowing. No, I never smelled it at all till there was you. And that's you as in the nurse, not some sheep that was creating wool to pack your nose. Yeah, Y-O-U, you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seeing as how you don't sound like annoying nasal girl right now, and your face seems to be mostly symmetrical, mm -hmm. I'm guessing that the surgeries were successful and you're done healing. I have finished healing, and now I can wake up and smell the coffee every morning with gratitude. That's great. I'm glad to hear it. I wonder if perhaps check in with our dark board of destiny and see what topic it suggests. I think I have a pretty good idea. Yes. And won't we be surprised if it suggests something we don't have in mind? <laughs> I'm sure at some point it will, but let's hope it's not this day. That's right. Not this day. Okay, let's check in once again with the dark board of destiny. Go, my dark. Yes, well, I think it's hit the nail on the head, or maybe the knee with your nose, or something like that. Anyway, it suggests that we talk about healing today. And specifically, it suggests that we answer the question, Why does God choose to heal some and not to heal others? And that is a good and very big question. I'm sure a lot of folks, many of our theologians, have asked that very question. Now, this seems to fall into a very similar category. Remember when we talked about why doesn't God intervene and stop the suffering that's in the world? Mm -hmm. That's another big question that we talked about in season one. I think it was episode nine or so. Season one, episode nine. That would be a good place to point our fellow theologians if they wanted to brush up on that aspect of God's character. Perhaps you can put a link in the description and then they can go right to it. Good idea. So if that's a good place to start as we explore this question, it's probably good to provide at least a short answer. And it's not the answer that a lot of people want to hear, but I believe it's true. And the short answer to the question, why does God heal some and not others, is he is answering both of those prayers. Ah, yes, I know what you mean. I've actually taught about God's answers to prayers, and I think I see where you're going with this. Because God answers all of our prayers, but sometimes his answer is yes, sometimes it's no. And sometimes he answers with kind of a nebulous, not yet. That's true, exactly. And this is one of the toughest things to understand about God and his will, especially when we're the ones begging him to answer our prayer in the way we want him to answer. Yeah, that's the key there. I've heard some say, it's always God's will to heal. We just need to pray in faith. Yeah, I've heard that too, and from well-meaning people, honestly. But let's think logically about that for just a moment. If it's always God's will to heal, and if all that stands between God's healing and my prayer is the faith I have as I pray, 
then that means it's really my faith that's doing the healing and not God. So that means I'm putting faith in my faith. And it can be dangerous to say that you didn't have enough faith since God didn't heal, mm. because you can wind up with the wrong conclusion about God's love and his character. We talked about that in great detail before. Those omni-attributes that you were talking about. Exactly. Before. Yeah, and you could say, well, God doesn't really love me since he didn't give me what I asked for when I asked for healing. And we know that's not true, since God has demonstrated his love for us, because while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. I mean, exactly. there's that demonstration of that omni-love that he gives. Yes, we always have to look at our situation with the cross in the background. When the shadow of the cross falls on our suffering or sickness, then we know that if God is saying not yet or even no, it's because he's doing the most loving thing for us that he knows to do. Which means that we need to trust that he knows what we need more than we do, because sometimes we ask things that probably aren't going to be that good for us. That's true. That's why we need to address a verse that people use, I'm afraid, incorrectly to suggest that it's always God's will to heal. When somebody hasn't been healed, even though they have prayed, they may point to 1 John 5.14 1 John 5.14 and say, but God said that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear and answer us. They'll quote that scripture that if we ask in God's name, he'll give us what we ask for. What if healing is not in God's will? If someone has already determined that it's always God's will to heal, then they get stuck on this, and they can't get past that preconception to the truth. What about asking in God's name, and what does that actually mean? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Asking for something in God's name means asking in his authority and asking for something that we know is within his will. And if you're asking for him to heal you, and if in that case it's not his will to heal you physically, then you aren't asking for something that's within his will. And what we fail to recognize is that God is doing things that are on so much a bigger scale and mm -hmm. more eternal than we can see. I mean, having that, that omniscience, he's got everything going on, knows what's going to be best. So let's take an example. What if God knows that if he heals your loved one now, they will encounter something far more painful later? Mm. Could it be that he's extending his mercy by allowing them to be done with pain and suffering on earth so they can enjoy being whole and completely healed for eternity. Mm, that's a good hypothetical situation. And yeah, I think that's entirely possible. I mean, as a minister, I've been with a lot of people through suffering and eventually through the death of a loved one. And almost every time a loved one dies after a season of suffering, their relatives will say, I'm just so grateful that they aren't suffering any longer. So why don't we address a couple of scripture passages that show us that it's not always God's will to heal? Good idea, because we can use stories until we're blue in the face, but we need to see that the Bible is the place where we get the real background for this. Right. And one passage is where Paul asked God to remove his thorn in the flesh. And we're not completely sure what that thorn was, but we know that it caused him pain. Yeah, and maybe it was physical, like the problem with his eyesight that we learn about in one of his letters. And it might have been emotional. And he persecuted a lot of Christians before his conversion, and there was probably a lot of guilt associated with that. Yeah. Now, if it was emotional pain, it was still pain, and it was still something that he would have wanted to be healed. 
That's a very good point. Physical healing and emotional healing, it's both important. And it could have been either in his case. Well, whatever it was, God chose not to answer Paul's repeated requests for God to remove it, or in other words, to heal it. Instead, God taught Paul to keep trusting him daily for answers to prayer, mm. even when the answers could conceivably be no or not yet. And God told him, and this is something that we need to take to heart, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, a second passage that shows us that it's not always God's will to heal us is in 2 Timothy. Paul's on a missionary journey, and he's leaving a fellow missionary in a town because the missionary was sick and hadn't recovered enough to be able to travel. Mm. And he writes in 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4.20. I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Ah, and that's important. I mean, because why didn't Paul just heal Trophimus? Would that mean that Paul didn't have enough faith? Did it mean that Trophimus didn't have enough faith? No, the passage doesn't say anything about a lack of faith on either Paul's part or Trophimus's part as being the reason for Trophimus's illness. Oh, and, and I thought of another passage. Nope, sorry, you only get two. <laughs> just kidding. What's the third passage? It's the time when Paul had written to Timothy saying, Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. 1 Timothy 5.23 Paul could have just laid hands on Timothy and healed him. Didn't Timothy have enough faith? No, in that case, it was because it wasn't God's will to heal Timothy through prayer at that moment. Mm, another good point. And it shows me that we can trust the great physician, God, and we can also trust doctors that God has gifted with knowledge and skill, because earthly doctors can act as agents of God's healing. For example, when I broke my nose both times, I trusted a doctor to use modern medical practices to fix it so I could breathe again. And by the way, it's helpful for us to remember that one of the gospel writers, Luke, was a physician. Yeah, and you'd think that with his experience, he would have understood that healing comes, whether it's a miraculous healing by God or whether it's the slower natural process that's aided by doctors and the skill that they have and their understanding of medicines and so forth. Mm -hmm. But it's also helpful for us to understand that Jesus's healing ministry was not his primary calling on earth. Mm -hmm. Another good point. We do read of many healing incidents in the New Testament, but there were times when Jesus said, ah, time to move on, got to go to the next village, even though there were still a lot of people coming to him who still needed to be healed, which means he didn't heal everybody. Yeah, and it's interesting. I'm going to divert off on another subject here because mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff out there in the internet world. There's people who claim to be healers, people who seem to be doing miraculous healing, mm -hmm. and you, know, you look at them enough, and you can be really skeptical about what they're doing and the way they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you look at it and you go, this seems really genuine. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy's got a boot on his foot. He's walking on crutches. He gets prayed for. And in two minutes, he's jumping around on that ankle that just a bit ago required crutches. Mm -hmm. That seems like a miraculous healing. You know, we didn't see him pump a bunch of morphine into his foot. He prayed for him, and he was able to walk. He was able to jump up and down on that, on that broken foot or that, that hurt ankle. Mm -hmm. And it seems genuine, 
the ministry seems genuine. He's pointing people to Jesus and the miraculous power that he has and how that can then translate into an eternal relationship. Mm-hmm. And you go, is it possible that they are exercising the gift of healing and actually performing miracles in society today? I kind of think there might be those situations, and it, it leaves big question marks in our minds. I remember my wife praying for a, a friend of ours from our previous church. She was doing a little bit of a massage on a very, very sore back on her friend. And all of a sudden, this huge knot, this lump just rose up underneath Joy's fingers. And she thought, I've never experienced this before. This is really odd. (laughs) And it was like the size of uh, an avocado. I mean, it was a big lump. And she said, Corrine, do you feel anything different? Corrine said, well, yeah, I do feel like there's something back there, but I don't feel pain anymore. And it was very, very different. Joy finished praying for her because she'd been praying silently for her. She wasn't doing anything in the spotlight. It was very private, just a one-on-one kind of a thing. And she was just a little bit awestruck by what had happened. Corrine thanked her for that massage, not even knowing what Joy had been praying. And then Joy bumped into this same lady a couple of days later in the grocery store And this lady was pushing her shopping cart and reaching up everywhere and doing all of her mobility stuff, just like she had done before she had this back problem. She was fine. And Joy thought, that's very unique. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was very unique too. But I think that that's one of those evidences that lets us know sometimes I think God does do miraculous and very outside the ordinary supernatural things. We look at what Christ said when he was talking to the apostles, and he says, you will do greater things than I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did some pretty, pretty big miracles. And yet, the early church was told, you're going to be able to do greater things than this. Yeah. Do we know what those are? Not from that explanation. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's a, a whole school of thought that says, oh, the miraculous gifts were only for that early church. Right. I don't see scriptural evidence for that. And yet, when someone is doing such things as uh, miraculous healings or what appear to be, they try to debunk it. And I I laughed out loud when I saw one this weekend. He says, oh, this guy, he's such a fake, and I can prove it. And so he goes through this long video where the healer is working with the congregation. They're talking down from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet asking God to heal all of those things that are infirmities for themselves and for their neighbors, because everybody's, you know, reaching out to the people around them. It's a very kind of solemn scene, and they're repeating the prayer back, and they're walking down through, and the guy comes back on and goes, here's where I'm going to prove that this guy is a fake. See that woman in the frame right there? She's still wearing glasses. Why weren't her eyes healed? (laughs) Yeah, the skeptics always got one more big question. (laughs) <laughs> I think they do. Yeah, and oh. I understand skepticism because I admit I'm very skeptical, especially about televangelists, because we've seen some who have been debunked, and we've known that they've had earpieces in their ears, and their producer was talking to them and saying, you need to call on this person because we interviewed them, and they vetted them before they came in the room. You know, that stuff happens. But there are also other evidences of people that makes it look like, yeah, I think this was really a miracle from God. And one of the reasons that there's some evidence for that is he's not taking any credit for himself. He's not making a ton of money off of it. And 
he's pointing people to Jesus Christ as the source of that ministry and the source of power. And he's saying what you need is Jesus for eternity, not just a temporary healing. When all those things are present, you think, yeah, maybe this thing really is real. And that kind of gets us back to the point before we went off on that little tangent. Mm-hmm. I mean, the main purpose of Jesus healing was not for anybody's personal comfort or convenience. It was mm-hmm. really so that Jesus's healing miracles were there to prove that he was the promised Messiah. Now, they were especially important as signs from God to the Jews who knew the mm-hmm. old covenant. Right. And Jesus added validity to the apostles' message that the Messiah had come, and Jesus was that Messiah. Mm, yeah, very good point. A lot of authority that needed to be displayed so that they would know he was the Messiah. You're so right. And here's another logical argument that people choose to ignore when they think that it should always be God's will to heal the sick if we ask him. If good health were always God's will, then Christians would never die. That's true. They wouldn't. And it's obvious, but it sounds a little funny when you say it aloud. I remember reading a book by a humorist, a guy down in Florida, and the name of the book was Stay Fit and Healthy Until You Die, (laughs) which is our desire. We would love to stay fit and healthy until God just calls us home, and we'd like to just die in our sleep so we don't have to suffer. But we do know that all humans die. I mean, 100%. We've covered some reasons for that many times in our past episodes. It's because of sin in the world. That's why people die. The greatest curse of all caused by sin was death. Death is the last curse to be overcome. And fortunately, Jesus overcame it when he died on the cross to atone for sin. Right. So we know that everyone dies, Mm -hmm. but not everyone has to enter eternity apart from God. Ah, that's good. Yeah, that's so true. And that's what Jesus came to accomplish. He came to take care of the most important need, which is our eternal destination. He came to heal us, not temporarily and physically here on earth, but he came to heal us spiritually and forever so that we could live whole and sin-free forever after our earthly bodies wear out. So we talked about some, some pretty big principles here. So why don't we sum up and, and kind of go back and recap what we've talked about today? Yeah, good idea. First, I think we were talking about when we pray for God to heal somebody, we can trust that God always hears us. He's not ignoring us. Just because we might not hear anything instantly doesn't mean he's not going to answer. But sometimes his answer is yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not yet. And we also know that even if we're healed here on earth, it's still temporary. I mean, even Lazarus, raised from the grave by Jesus, he died again. Yeah, isn't that something? You think about how miraculous that was, and I'm sure that Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, were ecstatic that Jesus had brought their brother back to life from that tomb. That had to have been stupendous, but he had to die again. (laughs) It's like, oh, man. And I think if I had been Lazarus, I might have been going, send me back. (laughs) And you're going, okay, um, that was off my bucket list. (laughs) Right, because I don't want to come back and have to suffer again through all the stuff we have to suffer here on this earth. But once again, that was to prove Jesus' authority to show that he was who he claimed to be and that all the prophecies had come true in that Messiah. And since every healing is temporary, we need to focus more on God's grace for eternity, not just the temporal grace. We've talked before about how anything can become an idol. 
And I think this is probably true, even with this whole concept of healing and faith healing. Anything, even good things, can take our focus off of God's most important purposes for our lives if we forget them and if we get our eyes taken off of that. If we get so hung up on temporary physical healing that we miss His amazing gift of grace because of Christ's death on the cross, then we're becoming self-focused on what He can give us because of what we want in the moment, temporarily, rather than trusting God for what He wants. And we know that He wants what's the best thing for us. He's going to want for us what's going to bring us the greatest satisfaction for the longest possible amount of time. Exactly. We humans can elevate temporary physical healing to a level that certainly can take our focus off of our greatest need, which is the permanent healing. The one that involves being forgiven of our sins, because that keeps us eternally separated, which is not the best that God wants for us. Yeah, so true. In fact, that prophetic passage in Isaiah 53 is used, I'm afraid, far too often to claim physical healing, which, as we've said, is temporary, since it's talking specifically about the eternal healing brought about by Jesus' atoning work on the cross. I mean, you can see it pretty clearly when you just read verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's important that we keep that in context. The the proper interpretation of that verse is that the stripes were on our behalf for that bigger picture, so that we could be covered by his blood for atonement, and that we can be reconciled to the holy God forever. That's not talking about a a physical temporal healing. It's talking about eternal forever healing that will come once this earthly tent wears out. Yeah, that's so true. And I've actually done a word study on Isaiah 53. And when you're looking at the words and their tense and their meaning in context, the whole thing is really talking about his atonement for our sin, for our eternity. It really is not about just physical healing for us temporarily. And if we want a really good example of this concept, I mean, we can look to Jesus himself. He's the greatest example of a faithful person we could find. And he's somebody who knew how to pray in God's will and in God's authority. And yet, God chose not to answer his prayer to keep him from suffering temporarily on earth. That's important for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. But this is the most important part of that prayer. He went on to say, yet not my will, but your will be done. And it's really a good thing for us that God allowed his only son to suffer, even though it was horrendous. Mm -hmm. But without the awful suffering, we would still all be lost in our sins. And that's why we always need to keep going to the cross for the answers to our toughest questions. This incident clarifies for us that when we look to God for his answers and we're saying, God, can you please heal my relative or my loved one? Or please heal me if we're the ones who need healing. He has a better plan sometimes than we might have. And so we know that 
it could be a plan that lasts a lot longer than just temporary healing. He's got a plan for eternity for us. He's going to prepare a place for us. And if that's how he chooses to answer, we should be okay with that. Yeah. And aren't we glad that he does? Yeah. No matter what happens here. I mean, Paul called all of this a momentary light affliction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I've got a bruise. I, I, I got a little paper cut. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it's meaningless in light of that eternity. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a, possible that some of our fellow theologians are having some issues with this. Mm-hmm. And maybe we could pray so that they will know when someone who is sick and in need of healing and how we can apply what we've discussed by praying a prayer that God will answer one way or the other. Sure. I'd be happy to do that. I'll just try to put something together based on what we've been talking about, all these concepts about trusting God's will, knowing that he can answer, and he does, but even if he does, that's temporary. So let's put all that together in a prayer. It could be something like this if you were praying for healing for a friend or for yourself. Dear Father, I do pray that you'll give me the kind of strength and faith to trust you no matter what knowing that you do answer, you always answer. And I know you're hearing my prayer even now. And I trust that if it is your will, you would let this cup pass from me and that the healing that I'm asking for would take place, knowing that it is temporary, but knowing that if you do answer that way, it's because you still have some good solid work for the person I'm praying for to do before they go home forever. And yet, if you choose to delay that for whatever good reasons, I trust that your will is better than my will, and that you have some good reasons for us to suffer together with this person and to continue to lean on you so that your grace will be sufficient for us every day, as Paul said. And I also trust that if your answer is no, just like it was for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you didn't remove that cup of suffering from him, that cup of death. And if you choose to say no to my prayer, I still trust you and I still love you, Because I understand that your no means an eternal yes for my loved one if they're in Christ. And I pray that my loved one will have the best thing possible, that they will have trusted Christ with their life and with their eternal life, and that they have placed their faith in him as their Lord and Savior, because Jesus is preparing a place for everybody who trusts him. And that's what I want ultimately for this loved one that I'm praying for. And I pray all this in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. It's a tough subject to deal with because when we're in the moment when either a loved one or a sow are really suffering with some sort of an illness or uh, some sort of an injury and we don't get the healing that we've been praying for, it's, it's easy to take our eyes off of what's important. Yeah, it's very easy. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the moment. And what we want is relief from suffering more than anything. Usually that's what's the motivation for our prayer. And that's not a bad prayer, but it helps us to get this perspective by knowing that we can pray just as Jesus did. And sometimes the answer is still no, because he's got a better yes down the road. As you prayed, the ultimate goal is for those atoning stripes to be applied to that, mm-hmm. that shed blood to cover the sin so that at the end of it all, we spend eternity with a God who loves us and wants only the very best for us. And I don't know why anybody would say no to that. I know. I wish that for everybody. I really desire strongly that they would say yes to that grace, because I want all my loved ones and my friends 
to be with me in eternity in God's presence. Of course. So why don't you forecast hmm. the probability that we will be here next week to do this again? I give that forecast about a 98.6% chance that we're going to do this again. And as we all know, right. all percentage forecasts are made up on the spot. <laughs> but that's a pretty strong chance. So I think we're probably going to do that. And because of that, fellow theologians, we do hope that you're going to join us next week for another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon, Afternoon Theologians. theologians. Oh,